everyone. How's everybody doing? It's good to see everyone, always, always. And uh, blessed time of prayer together and just want to remind us, I know we talked about this on uh, Sunday, but with Voice of Martyrs, this is, again, the month to really focus um, and take that opportunity to pray for the persecuted church. Um, and encourage you, get on there. They have some good different uh, resources and whatnot, but just a good reminder for us um, to be in prayer for that. Let's open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this night. Thank you for time to come into your word, Lord. And Heavenly Father, we do pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who it is a challenge to do what we're doing right now, Lord God. It would be a matter of literal life or death, Heavenly Father. And Lord, we pray that you would be with them, that you would minister to them, Lord God, that they would be enabled to endure whatever would come through the power of your Holy Spirit and your love and your grace and your mercy, Lord. And Heavenly Father, I pray that you help us to not take this freedom for granted, not take the ability to sit here together with brothers and sisters and be in your word for granted, Lord. And Father God, as we are together, we just continue to lift up the precious nation of Israel, Lord, and the people there, Heavenly Father, and everything that is taking place, and just pray, Heavenly Father, for salvation, Lord of souls. Please, Lord God. Thank you for this time, Lord, and be with us. Help us to focus on your word right now, that we would glean what you have for us right now, Lord, to draw closer to you, Lord, to be refined by you, Lord, and to be the men and women that you need us to be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we finished, finally, Psalm 18. Woohoo! We got through it. Um, and with that, again, we saw that psalm, and it's a precious psalm that is that song of victory, that song of victory. And within it, we saw David's deliverance in that psalm that takes place. In the ending portion that we looked at last week, we saw the supremeness of God, we saw what it is to give glory to God, to give praise to God for all things. We saw David's example of the good, the bad, every single thing that he was endured through, that he carried through, all the glory to God alone. In that, we also saw the value of obedience in the life of one following after God, in the life of one whose heart is seeking after God. And we saw the fruit of what it is to have the first two verses of that psalm with loving the Lord who is my strength, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, all of that. And then it came back at the end. Blessed be my rock of my salvation. So again, those reminders and in that victorious, victorious deliverance song of David. And I encourage you, go check again 2 Samuel 22 where we see that come up again and just seeing it hit in his life as he's enthroned and he comes back to that song of victory at the end. So charge from last week was one, those first two verses and verse 46 of that psalm. Can you make those anthems of your life? Can you strive to run that race that every single day you rise? I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The other charge, memorializing your walk with God. And I encourage you, do it however works for you. It could be that you literally write it down in a journal. It could be that you take one of those blank pages at the back of the Bible and you just jot down those moments and those memories of deliverance from the Lord, but memorialize it. What would the lyrics be of your song of deliverance? What would your psalm to the Lord for your deliverance be? And the third thing that we talked about last week as a charge was prayer 
that the stronghold of blindness would be removed all around. That blindness to the Lord, that blindness to the truth, the blindness to the word of God, that it would lead unto salvation. And that it would lead to not just salvation, but discipleship and steadfast obedience. So that's where we were last week. You know how you're doing with those things. But keep again, saints, returning to the scripture God puts in front of you. Don't passively be engaged with the word of God. Tonight, we are going to be in Psalm 19. And the title of tonight's message is Revealed Reminders of Our Redeemer. Revealed Reminders of Our Redeemer. And when we think of that, you can think of that question that sometimes people will say, do you remember or remember when we did dot, 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 or do you remember that time that we did X, Y, Z? And we have to remember ourselves that God's word is filled with reminders. And those reminders are continually revealing and reminding us who he is. And in Psalm 19, we are going to see dual reminders of who he is. In this psalm, we're going to see God revealed in creation. And we're also going to see God revealed in the word of God. Now, if you remember when we started the book of Psalms, we talked about the different categories of Psalms that there are. Psalm 19 falls in two different categories. And with the subcategory that it hits, you could say two and a half or three if you want to count the subcategory as a category. But one being a creation Psalm. And if you remember, we've studied one creation Psalm already, Psalm 8. So now this is another creation Psalm. Psalm 24, 29, 65, and 104 are the other creation psalms. That's 24, 29, 65, 104. I'm not calling bingo out. And then we also could categorize Psalm 19 as a wisdom psalm. And as we go through, we'll see that. Now, the subcategory that you'll see with it when some scholars are categorizing the psalms is a Torah psalm. You will also see that as a category with this. Now, As we go through the Psalms, we try to figure out, is there a set context for when this one lands, when this one happens? Guess what? There's no exact time period in David's life that we can point this to. When we look to the title of the Psalm, we see a title we've seen before, to the chief musician, a Psalm of David. And remember, when we see that chief musician, it would be, there's debate on what it would be, but some will say that that points to the certain category of choir leaders for certain things, and this is who they would be because they were chief musicians. Others point to it being the chief musician, God himself. And whenever we see that, that's where I say, I'm excited at the prospect of eternity singing in that choir. And if you think you can't sing, I believe we're all going to be able to sing in that choir. But this body of believers knows how to sing. We know that every Sunday morning. And this is a Psalm of David. Now there's two quotes I want to just Download into your brains as before we go into this psalm. One is going to be from German philosopher Immanuel Kant. And it says, two things fill the mind with ever new and increasing wonder and awe. The more often and the more seriously reflection concentrates upon them. The starry heaven above me and the moral law within me. And just let that be downloaded as we begin our journey in Psalm 19, realizing when we hit the part of this psalm that does the word, we're going to realize Kant had it half right. Creation matters. But for us, it's not about the moral law within. It's about the divine law. 
And we're going to see the importance of that divine law. And another quote from C.S. Lewis, I take this, being Psalm 19, to be the greatest poem in the Psalms and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. Okay, and Psalm 19, there's a little, you know, for my bride, this is one of her favorite passages of scripture. The scripture of her life is within this psalm. So if you're watching, honey, I love you. Um, But again, this is a, a precious text that we're going to get to delve into and look. Within Psalm 19, we're going to see creator, God. And within looking at creator, God, we're going to see the paradox through his creation as it's described within this text. We're going to see the word. And with looking at the word of God, we're going to see the perfection of his word. We're going to also see man. We're going to see the sinner. We're going to see prayer to him for communion with him. Psalm 19, you can divide into three portions that are tied to what I just said. Verses 1 to 6 being creation. Verses 7 to 11 being on the word of God. Verses 12 to 14 being on prayer. And what I also add with verse 14, posture. And we'll see that when we get there. Now, this psalm itself is also going to answer two popular questions that we can get asked as believers. We're going to have the answer right here in this psalm. One question being, how do you know God is real? Have you ever been asked that? I know I have. People ask that. How do you know God's real? You're going to have the answer tonight. So get excited about that. And two, we're going to have the answer to the second part of that. Okay, fine. If I know that, what does he expect of us? What does God expect of me? What am I supposed to do with that? And then we're going to see the result of having the answer to those two questions leads us to prayer. Because when we look to creation, we see his glory. When we look to the word, we see his grace. And prayer is a gesture embracing the gift of both of those things. So let's dig in to Psalm 19. How do you know God is real? Verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Now think about our author we've been known is David. Think about his life, his early years. What was he doing? Tending his father's flock. So he would be out in nature. And what else was he doing? Meditating on scripture. So right at the offset, we're reminded with the person who's authoring this, he had two books that he followed very well. The book of God's creation, the book of his word. Charles Spurgeon has a fun quote on this. He who is wisest who reads both the world book and the word book as two volumes of the same book and feels concerning them, my father wrote them both. And that's what... We, we get to see and we're reminded of in this with who's the author, God through David. Now, when we think about creation itself, when we think about what he's seeing here, how do you know God is real? Creation itself. That's the source of the answer to that question, which is the verses I just read. How do you know God is real? Creation. Because what is creation? Something that we call the natural revelation of God. Through the creation, we have the natural revelation of God. Through the blue skies, through sunrises, through sunsets, through day and through night, through the cycle of day and night, through the cycle of sunrises and sunsets, we see the maestro conductor, we see the greatest artist, God of creation in action. Through his creation, we see his power, 
Through his creation, we see his wisdom. Through his creation, we see the worthiness of his honor and worship. The heavens declare the glory of God, the glory of God, the value of nature, the value of who he is. And the firmament shows his handiwork, a poetic way of reminding God's work, the work of his, at his voice, creation takes place, at his molding, the work of all of that. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. Because creation broadcasts who he is. Now the word utters there in Hebrew, that Hebrew word there is literally a gushing spring that copiously pours forth sweet, refreshing waters of revelation. That's what that utters is. Day and night reveals knowledge. Now what's interesting is we go on here, we see there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Now, if you look at verse 3, there is and where, if you're using New King James, which I'm going, you're going to notice that's in italics. When you see words like that in italics, that has a meaning to it. This is where I say, whatever Bible you're reading, look at the footnotes. Understand how the Bible works. When those italics are there, that's not in the original. So we would actually see in verse 3, no speech nor language, their voice is not heard. Speech is not present. Yet in verse 4, paradox, their line has gone out through all the earth. Their line, that is, the voice going forth. What we're seeing here is that reminder through creation, through the gestures of creation, through the action of creation itself, the voice of God is revealed in creation, within creation, natural revelation. Now verse 4, Paul will refer to that in Romans chapter 10, when he gives the context to try to help them understand why Israel rejects the gospel. And we see here, and their words at the end of verse 4, to the end of the world. Through creation, a few things are noted. God's grandeur, the bigness, the vastness of creation. Through creation, we see God as the ultimate engineer. Who else could orchestrate our world the way it is? I think of right now um, with the tables out in the fellowship hall, they had green leaves and then suddenly they turned into uh, autumn leaves. It uh, just happened like that. Thanks, Michelle. But when we think about the way that nature is designed, that's an example of his masterful engineering. Only our gracious, artistic Lord, God of creation, does this. Through creation, we see God as an artist. And through creation, guess what? For folks who say, God is so mean, God is so angry, God is so wrathful. Actually, God is so good and kind that he has created creation that all can see creation. All can see our heavenly father revealed. Every single human being. And we have this noted. If you turn to Romans chapter 1, we have this idea of creation referenced. And we've looked at Romans 1 many, many times. We're not going to go through the whole thing of that. But Romans 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Truth being suppressed. Why? Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. How? For since the creation of the world, 
Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are even, that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Creation itself, when we look at Romans 1, we're reminded creation itself gives no excuse to not say there's God. God is the God of creation. You look at creation, there he is. Creation reveals a designer. And if there is a design, there has to be that designer doing it. There has to be that creator. Then we go back to where it starts. Where did creation begin? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now we think of culture, 2023, education in our country for way too long, way beyond just 2023, evolution. We have the battle of creation versus evolution. And guess what, saints? It's something we have to engage in. Because I think sometimes when that comes up, it's, oh, yes, yes, well, they have that, but let's focus on other things. No, start with that. Delve into that conversation with the person who says, I, I, I'll talk about Jesus, but I don't know if God created everything. Well, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then if you think about the gospel we're in on Sundays, John, we see, guess who is preexistent and there at creation? Jesus, because he is God. And guess who else was there in Genesis 1-2? The spirit hovering over the waters. The triune God is present at creation. We can't not think about creation. Now, if we think about our culture and science... Science continues to dig deeper and dig deeper and we have more technology and we have more things and it's fascinating as this goes on, you can see more and more folks that are top scientists saying XYZ clearly has a strong design. There's clearly an intricate design to it. Now that doesn't mean that there's a designer, but there's clearly an intricate design. And we hear that over and over and over and over and over again and it's a reality that we need to then lean into. Because we who have the full word of God know who made all things. God. Who's involved in making all things? John 1.3. Jesus is also there. Because guess what we see there when we were studying it? All things were made by him. Every single person sitting in this room today is an individual creation that the pre-existent Jesus Christ was involved in creating. But then we have evolution. We have Darwin. Darwin says there's just a simple cell. That's no such thing, dude. The nucleus says every single cell has several billion bits of information just at the molecular level. You can't even count it at the atomic level. And this same person, Darwin, who evolutionists want to run with, we sometimes leave out the fact he was actually quite racist, had quite an influence on Adolf Hitler. But let's leave that out and just focus on the fact we all came here by monkeys. We did not. We are here by Jesus Christ. He was involved from the moment of conception. Sperm, egg, meat, two chromosomes, one nucleus. Cell goes, splits, two, four, six, uh, eight, 16, 32, keeps going on, 64, on and on and on and on and on. You all know we're in birth land right now. We're birth dorks in our family. But you, interesting little side fact, women think of this. If it went beyond the nine months and just kept going, it could be bigger than the moon. If we think about the size of replication, replication, replication. The multiplication goes on, it takes place, and guess what? There's mystery in that. And scholars are delving into that mystery. They want to figure out the why. Some want to say that the cell 
as it's dividing, then suddenly it just happens to, bones just happen. The brain just happened. The heart just happened. The liver just happens. There's no way. Others might want to point to an um, epigenetic above the genome that turns things off and then turns other things on. There's one scholar, Rupert Sheldrake, who has a PhD in England, and it's interesting if you read some of his work, and I did a little delve in, couldn't go too far because I'm not a science guy too much, but if you go in, what's interesting when we're thinking about the cell, he leans on morphic resonance, and his reasoning that all of this is going on is that the resonance in existence is what's helping direct the cells to grow and to do what they're doing. No, but it's Jesus. Jesus is doing it. The great designer, the great creator is there. If a liver is going to form, the blood vessels and the nerves are waiting for the liver to form. And then inside, the blood and nerve supply takes place. They're waiting. That's not evolution. It doesn't just happen randomly. There's an intricate designer doing it. And saints, we can't forget the intricacy of our God of creation. It's not just simple cells doing their thing coming together. It's the God of creation weaving together and orchestrating every single bit. Now, folks like Darwin, folks like Sheldrake, they want to come up with their own logic and information that they can go with, but only to a degree is it really set and clear because it's got to be a little random. Because guess what? As long as it's a little random, your decisions can be a little random. Because if there's an intricate designer, if there's an intricate one who's in control, God of creation, that means there's authority you need to submit to. But if there's no God of creation, there's no authority I have to worry about. I can be my own God. Woohoo! No, we have to think about the God of creation. We just looked at Romans 1. Guess what? What was going on there? An avoidance of accountability, wanting to run after the own flesh, the own things that they want to do. We see going on in verse 4, in them he has set a tabernacle for the son, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race and its rising from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The sun. When we think about the sun, 93 million star miles away, there's a big star out there. Ontaries, guess what? You could fit 64 million Ontaries into the sun. And then there's Hercules, which is out there. Another one, guess how many there you could fit? A hundred million. Why are we talking about that? Our God of creation is infinite, limitless. We can't try to just put randomness and say, it all just, it's just everything that we're studying, it just happened. No, there's an intricate God of creation. And we have to when we look at these verses where we're seeing the natural revelation of God in creation, we've got to stand for creation. And I think more than ever, because guess what? When we go to evolution, there's something that you're going to hear if you keep digging down that rabbit hole. What's the point of living? What's the point of life? We think about youth right now. We think about teens right now. This is something that my heart is breaking for. As former educator, working with the youth in this church, the Mental Health of uh, America, Mental Health America organization, some stats to share with you. 11.5% of youth right now, that's 2.7 million in our country for 2023, severe depression or anxiety episodes. 
North Carolina on that list is 16 out of 50 with 82,000. Then we look at 6.34% of youth with substance issues going on. North Carolina, number five with 41,000. So when we think about this, when we look at these things, if we think about getting lost in this world of evolution, 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 we're lost in no hope. We're lost in no purpose. Because evolution as a seed does something. Verse 1, what do we see? The heavens declare the glory of God. Evolution denies the glory of God. When there is no glory of God, there's no hope. There is no purpose. But when we remember there's creation, there's a designer, there's a great design, we know there's one designer, one maker, one creator, God. And we hold fast to that. We cling to that. In them, he has set a tabernacle for the sun. Nighttime is that tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, verse 5, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. He's talking of the power of the sun, the strength, the power, the endurance. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Nothing can be hidden from the heat of the sun. The sun is continuous. The sun is nonstop. When we think of all these portraits and pictures of the sun, we can't help but then think of our son of righteousness, King Jesus. And this is all applicable to him. He's the bridegroom coming out of his chamber. He runs that strong race. He is strength. He is power. He is endurance. He is relentless. He is continuous. And then from there, David takes an abrupt shift now to the word of God. And we read in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Now, when we look at this, there's something to note. Verse 1, when this starts, the heavens declare the glory of God. The word that we have there for God is El, which is even more generic than what you would see use the common Elohim. We just have El. But then when we go to verse 7, the word of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh. We have Yahweh being used there. We have the God of covenant, love, faithfulness. Creation, we see the natural revelation of God. As we move to the law of the Lord, as we move to the word of God, we see the self-revelation of God. We see the personal and intimate revelation of God. And guess what? When you see a personal creator... Jesus, God, you realize there's a personal creator. That means there's a personal plan for my life. And that's where if we get lost in the evolution rabbit, guess what? We lose understanding. We have a purpose. We were made by him and for him. Verse 7 to 9 counters that quote that I shared of Immanuel Kant at the start of this evening. It's not about a moral law within me. It's about the divine law revealed from God of creation to us. It's about that book of creation, the book of his word coming together. 
If you just focus on the creation alone, you end up maybe in a little new age world, a pagan world, all these different things. And guess what? If you ignore the fact that God is the creator, God is the intricate designer, and you just say, I'm going to just take this and do what I want, that's where we get some legalism born. That's where we get adding a bunch of rules because we forget the authority of God. We have to know he's the God of creation and he's revealed himself in his word. We have his word to do that. And the best thing you could do, homework assignment, get out in nature with the word of God. It's a beautiful thing to do. And couples here, go for a little date, go on a stroll, bring your Bibles, have a little picnic, and read in nature. And remember this revealed word that you're reading, the God of creation, that sky that you look up to, that look up at the trees that are there, the God of creation that you're reading in his revealed word did that. Now, when it comes to the word in the verses 7 through 9, he gives us six words to describe the word of God. And in each one, he gives an attribute of it with the word. And then he gives the result of it, of the word of God functioning in that capacity. Law, testimony, statutes, commandments, fear, and judgments. Verse 7, the law, now the first one of the Lord. And remembering in the context of this, he would have the first first five books, the Pentateuch. There's not the full revealed entire scripture of the word of God. There's other Hebrew books that would be have, but this is not the whole word of God yet revealed to David But see what he says of this. The law of the Lord is what? Perfect, inerrant, infallible. And guess what it does? Converting the soul. Now converting, the Hebrew word there, guess what it means? Reviving. It literally is new life to the soul. And where does that come from? The law of the Lord. Because it is perfect. And it's intentional. The first thing that the word of God is mentioned of doing in this It's converting the soul because salvation, that is essential. Then the testimony of the Lord is is sure, making the wise simple. The testimony being the witness. It is sure, it's reliable, and it is certain, and it makes the wise simple. Because guess what? As one is in the word of God, wisdom grows. That person who can say, oh, I don't know so much, or oh, I'm not the best reader, or I can't do this, I can't do that. I don't care what you can do. Open your Bible, read, surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit, and watch what he reveals. The Holy Spirit promises what? To bring to remembrance scripture. That's where you're doing your own reading and you're going, you're like, oh, wait a second, that reminds me of that that I read last week. How do I remember that? And you're suddenly remembering the scripture reference, everything. That's what the Lord does with the testimony of the Lord. The word of God, all of the testimonies we have, all of the stories that we have of history revealed are sure, making the wise simple. Then we have verse 8. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. So the statutes, the words and items that are contained within the word of God are right. And that rightness, saints, is morally, practically, and universally It's right in every single capacity. And what does it do? Rejoicing the heart. Joy. Because when you know K-N-O-W, the word of God, you K-N-O-W, the God of the word. When you know the word of God, you know the God of the word. And then the contrary is true. If you you have no word of God, N-O, in your life, you will have no God of the word in your life because you're not having that relationship. 
If you know the truth, K-N-O-W, guess what? You know the K-N-O-W relationship and intimacy with him. If it's embedded and inside your heart. But if you're rejecting and abiding in the wrath as we've seen in John, guess what? It's the N-O truth and it's the N-O relationship. So which no do you follow? Which no do you go with? The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The commandment, the commands of God will never lead us to sin. If you're following the commands of God, you will not be led into sin. Because guess what it is? Pure. The purity from his word. I think when we think about teen culture, I know um, growing for my wife growing up in the 90s with Christian culture was quite interesting because sex, don't talk about sex. Oh my goodness, how do we do that? And then you grow up, you know nothing about it. No one explains anything to you because we don't talk about the three-letter word, S-E-X. Let's not talk about the anatomy. This is God's creation. We actually should talk about that. But if we put it in the context of the commandments of God, his design for the body, his design for intimacy between man and wife, guess what? The purity of that will enlighten the eyes. There will be understanding. Leaving it to the word of God, put it before and trust it there. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. That fear is awe and appreciation of God. As you read the word of God, as you hear the word of God, as you study the word of God, there's awe and appreciation for who he is, for all that he has done, and it's clean. His word is clean. It's not going to fade. It's not going to blemish. It can't be tarnished. It is clean. And when it is as clean as it is and perfect and right, guess what? It endures forever. Then the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The judgments, his order, they're true and righteous because there's no falseness. There's no unrighteousness in it. So that then should propel us to read it to hear it, to go through it, to meditate on it, to love it, to live it. It's the relationship that we have to have with the word of God. So we have to ask ourselves, what's my relationship with the God of creation? What's my relationship with him naturally revealed through creation? And what's my relationship with the word of God? Because see all of the things that the word of God is. Then you could go to Psalm 119. You could think about the word as a lamp to my feet and light to my path. And we so much more clearly see why. Then verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. Now if we think about gold and we think about the word of God, they do have something in common. You've got to dig for treasure. You've got to dig for treasure. There's treasure within his word. For every single believer, for every single person that will open it up and read. But you've got to dig. You've got to get in there. Now we see more to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. The word matters more than material goods. And think of who's saying this. King David, guess what? He was quite wealthy. But you know what? He's known more for his heart after God. Now his son Solomon did not follow suit. More wealth, known more for the wealth pit. What are you known more for? What are you known more for? What's your heart after? Do people, if I go to somebody who lives on your street and I say, oh, hey, oh, yeah, 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 I, I, um, I know Jay from church. What are they going to say? Are they going to know you as somebody who's chasing after God? Or are they going to say, he goes to church? Sorry, Jay. So it's something we have to be willing to, to ask ourselves that. Put the material aside. Then, look at this, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb, the sensual. It's better than any sensual thing you could imagine. 
Put the material aside. Put the sensual aside. Just relish in the word of God. Think of in Revelation when John eats the scroll with all the prophecies. It's sweet. Now there's bitter because there's a lot of things going on in those prophecies. But there's a sweetness to it. We have to remember it is above everything else. It's above everything else. And if we want a a verse to help us remember that, if you try to live Mark 12, 30, Mark 12, 30, jot it down, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. If you're doing that, guess what? You're going to be able to put the material aside. You're going to be able to put the sensual aside. If you allow yourself to remember in relation to the word of God, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, all of it, not just a piece of it, is given by inspiration of God, right down from the God of creation, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, aka covers all areas of life. That the man of God may be complete because it refines us and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Because anything we're going to do for God's glory, this is what's going to equip us. This is what's going to prepare us. The relationship to the word of God, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and powerful. Remember that. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the divisions of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's the value of the word of God. We have the whole counsel of the word of God, so we get a lot about the word of God. You need a reminder of the word of God, go to Psalm 119. Men that are doing building his temple, Dan just did a devotional for us on Psalm 119. Go listen to it. It's 15 minutes long, but it's worth the 15 minutes. Listen to it. Psalm 119, a great one to hit on the word. Now verse 11, when we think of the context of the word, the value, everything it means, moreover, By them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. So the word of God, it's more precious. It's the most valuable thing we can have. And guess what? It warns and it rewards. The warning, it warns about sin. We have so many scriptures about sin. It warns about danger. It warns about things to come. It warns about boundaries. That's why people don't want to go down the road of believing in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth because that means there's a creator, which means there's an order, which means there's boundaries. I don't want boundaries. I want to do what I want to do, so I'm not going to believe it. Well, guess what? Our God is a God of boundaries because he loves us. And those boundaries are found in his word. And when we wiggle and stray, he's going to chasten us because he's going to refine us to be closer to who he needs us to be. And there's a reward from the person who gets the value and lives in the word. A new car. No, that's not the reward. The reward is peace. The reward is peace of mind. Peace in your heart, mind, and soul. Because if you read the word of God and start to heed the word of God, you will be freed. Read, heed, freed. Read the word of God, heed the word of God, be freed. Because you're anchored in the God of creation. Because you're abiding in the God of creation. Because you've realized that Matthew 7, putting myself on the rock, and guess what? Storms come, winds come, but the house doesn't fall. That in James 1, for the person who wants to say, let me give you prosperity world. No, 
We're going to have trials. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to get a lot worse before the rapture happens. And guess what? The God of creation, the God revealed in the word of God, is going to give us the ability to endure for his glory. If we stay rooted in the word, if we stay anchored in it. So when he now goes there, looking at the creation, looking at the word, looking at God's grandeur, looking at his perfection, and then realizing how small we are, how imperfect we are, and then we can think of Psalm 8, which we saw, what is man that you're mindful of him? We know he cares. We then get to verse 12 and 13. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. We saw creation. We saw the word. Now we're seeing the heart of man. When we look at creation, when we look at the word, we should be moved to prayer. Lord, help me. Help me to be who you need me to be. The first question, how do you know God's real? Creation. What does God expect? Live the word. That's what he expects. And in living the word, be in prayer and come to repentance. Because the reality is we can be real good with kind of being gentle on ourselves, if you will. But you ever sit there and you're having that conversation? I can't believe that, that, that he's doing that. How could he do something like that? That's so bad. That's so da-da-da. We're really good at criticizing other people. And then there's stuff going on in ourselves. We don't want to look at that. I'm going to just focus on criticizing the other person. No, we got to also look at ourselves. Who can understand his errors? And in this passage, to be clear, David's not saying, this is that rhetorical question, and we got to remember with it, who can understand his errors? Be doers of the word, because if you're doers of the word, we have the whole counsel. David didn't. We have Hebrews 4.12. We're going to let the word discern the intents of our heart, our thoughts, Right? But he's not going there. And he's now praying with that. Keep back your servant also. Cleanse me from certain faults. All of this is that desire to be purged of all sin. The secret sins, the unknown sins, the sins that he's ignorant of, the sins that he's forgotten, and the presumptuous sins we see. Those that he's proud and known. Because there we all have presumptuous sins. Where we've been warned, don't do that, don't look at that, don't go there, don't do that, be it the word, be it someone, be it something that comes before us. But sin has a cycle that it goes through. The whole book of Psalms started with reminding us. We looked at the cycle, walk, stand, sit. But let's dig deeper into that, saints. Think about sin. What does it start with? Temptation. The temptation comes, you have that temptation, it hits, now you have a thought. The temptation turns to a thought. That thought is now error that's getting to breed. That thought then becomes a choice. So you have that choice, and that choice is there. Now you're pondering it more. And that pondering moves you to yearning for it. You're yearning and you're wanting. As you yearn and want and stay there, guess what you then start to do? You plan it. As you're planning the sin, then guess what starts to happen? You've got your plan. i got to find some chances to do it. When can I do this thing? that I'm thinking of. Now you have the chances to do it, so you do it. Now you're in action mode. You've done it, I got away with it, I'm gonna do it again. You do it again. As you do it again, now you're starting to delight in it. As you delight in it, now you find different ways to do it, other forms of doing it, and now it's a habit. Now that habit becomes an idol. 
that you're serving. Now, as you're serving that idol, it becomes the object of your sacrifice. As it becomes the object of your sacrifice, you've now become a slave to sin. That's the cycle that it goes down. And we need to be sober, be vigilant. Our adversary, the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. To hear that train and say, that doesn't apply to me. I'm good. I have no sin. You're lying and we should pray. (laughs) Truly. Because we all need to be checking ourselves for sin. And we have a comfort with the whole word of God. When we look at that cycle, we have a comfort in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except, as is, except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but when the temptation will also make the way of escape. But with the temptation, sorry, will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. What does that mean? We've got to walk in the Spirit. And we've got to realize when that temptation's coming, look for the escape. He's going to bring it. And you could say, okay, is there going to be a sign that says, don't do this? No. God orchestrates every, every aspect of our lives. You're tempted, you're thinking about that, and suddenly grandma calls. Pick up the phone and talk to grandma. That's your escape. Take it. Be walking in the spirit to be able to see, to be able to know. The prayer that he prays when he looks at God of creation and then looks at the word of God is to avoid sin in light of the God of creation, in light of his word, is the prayer. And then I see verse 14 as the posture. Because if we think about Mark 12, 30, loving with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, we've got to have a posture in our heart, mind, soul, and strength that is verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. When we think about this, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my mouth, uh, of my heart, because it's all coming from within. The words come from within. And when we think about the meditation of my heart, there's a lot in our hearts we think we're hiding. You hide nothing from God. God searches the heart. Remember Psalm 139, 23, 24. We've had open heart surgery a few Wednesdays already. He searches the heart. And then we see With that, the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, what is it? Be acceptable in your sight. Be acceptable is an important phrase coming from King David. This is Old Testament time, saints. This is about the priest needing to approve that sacrifice. Needing to say, this sacrifice is without blemish, it's accepted. And he's asking, Lord, help that the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, they would be acceptable in your sight. Let them be an acceptable gift offering and sacrifice to you. O Lord, I've talked a lot about O Lord when we were in the early Psalms. That O has so much within it and the capital L-O-R-D personal relationship. And what does he call him? My strength. Remember the consistency of one person of prayer and heart. Strength there can also be translated rock because it's only him. The strength to get there is only from God. It's not on his own. And then he says, and my redeemer. The Hebrew there, Gaal, kinsman redeemer. What does the kinsman redeemer do? Buys the relative out of slavery, rescues them from bankruptcy and total loss. David knew God as redeemer. We must know Christ, Jesus, Messiah come 
coming again as our Redeemer. And in this, this text is all revealed reminders of our Redeemer. He reminds us every moment, saints, you go outside and see the sky, discipline yourself, thank you, God of creation. When you look at the tree, thank you, God of creation. When you see your lawn, thank you, God of creation. Get in the word. Remind yourself of who he is and abide in him and have that life of prayer, have that life of surrender, have that life of repentance going before him. And may we all pray, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Verse 14, we could just stand there night there in conviction because that's a chunky one that we've all got to let pierce us so that he refines us. So our charge for this week, one, look to creation and stand for creation. Look to creation, stand for creation. If you know something's going down with evolution or something in a relative school system or something, and you have opportunity to be a voice there, go be a voice. Stand for creation. Two, read, heed, be freed. Read the word of God, heed the word of God, be freed through the word of God. And allow the word of God to search your heart, saints. And three, and I pray we do this, share Psalm 19 with someone this week. And be in prayer, Lord, please have somebody ask me, how do you know God is real? Well, let me tell you and put Psalm 19 in front of them and walk through it with them. Walk through the God of creation. Walk through the value of the word. Let them see those two tied together and have them join you in prayer of repentance. Because we all repent as David did here. Cleanse me. Forgive me. And let them see your heart of prayer to our King of Kings, that their heart may be moved to salvation and knowing him. So that's Psalm 19. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, Lord God. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the way that you so beautifully created this world, Lord God. The creation that you gave with trees, with the sky, with the colors of a sunrise and a sunset, Lord God. With the ocean, with the mountains, with all of it. A reminder of the intricacy of creation and the intimacy you desire with us, Lord. As you reveal yourself through the word, the word became flesh. Lord, help us to cherish your word above all else. Help us to dig into your word more and more, Heavenly Father. And Lord, please, Heavenly Father, help the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts to be acceptable in your sight, Lord God. Please, Jesus, that we would glorify you, our strength and our redeemer. That we, Lord, would remember that title for you, redeemer, taking us as slaves of sin to be your bondservant, running the race towards eternity. Thank you, Jesus, for this night. Travel mercies for all as they head home and help us to ponder these words, Lord, to grow deeper to who you need us to be for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good night.